Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Rays blow a 4-0 lead. They let the Astros walk it off with a two-run double in the ninth by Alex Bregman. Man, the Astros win their 12th straight game. That's a franchise record for them, while the Rays, they dropped their 19th one-run game. Tough loss for the Rays. We'll get into that. Also, we're going to hear from Bucks quarterback Jameis Winston on how they feel about, as a team, being under the radar this year. No hard knocks. And whether it's time to judge him on winning and his work ethic, which he says is unparalleled. And... Break up the caps, man. While they were celebrating, their coach, Barry Trotz, announced he's headed out of D.C. Man, that's that's quite a story there in the NHL. So all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get started on the podcast, we want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now, and you get a free 30-day trial. That's a $15 value, and as a listener to this podcast, you also get a free audiobook. Now, here's what you do. You go to audible.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash sportsday to sign up for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Okay, so lots to talk about uh, today based on uh, what happened in Houston last night. You know, the Rays go into Houston. Look, these are the defending world champions. And, oh, by the way, the hottest team in baseball having already won 11 in a row. So it wasn't like they were catching them with their uh, with their guard down. Um, but having said that, man, they did everything you need to do to try to get on top of a team like the Astros. Um, they get a two-run homer in the first inning by Wilson Ramos, uh, a big two-RBI single later by Joey Wendell, and uh, they're up four to nothing. And uh, unfortunately for them, that, that was all the hitting they were going to do. They ended up getting just four hits. They really had Garrett Cole, uh, their starter for the Astros, kind of, kind of on the ropes. He wasn't as sharp. He walked five batters, and this is a guy uh, who had only walked 25 on the season entering the game uh, and allowed just the four hits, but he settled down, wound up striking out eight. So, you know, you, you're going to have to find a way to get out of there with a uh, with a win with four runs, which is not always the easiest thing to do, especially in that ballpark and especially against that lineup. And sure enough, um, on a bullpen day, they weren't quite able to get it done, although they came they came awfully close. Um, you know, what they use, uh, just a, a ton of pitchers, I think six or seven pitchers in the game, seven pitchers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it came down obviously, uh, to, towards the last inning, but they got some good performances from Diego Castillo. Um, even Chad, Chad Rowe did a good job. Um, you know, the, the guy that gave up the runs early was, was Matt Andres. Um, but you know, you got to give Houston credit. I mean, these guys know how to win, how to win ball games and, Man, is there a tougher out? Seriously, if is there a tougher out in baseball than Jose Altuve? He entered the game leading the majors again in hits with 99. He ends up getting three hits again, you know, on Monday night, and they were big hits. And the, and what the the one started a rally in essence was a ground ball to short, you know, that for all the world that's an easy out, and he busted it down the line. And end up beating a beating a throw, and it was it was that sort of thing that that kind of got the Astros going. They scored a couple runs in that inning, 
And every time he came up in a situation, he was forcing the defense to try to make a play. Ended up with a double. Um, Eric got kicked around down there in left field corner with Johnny Fields, so you end up with a guy on third base and nobody out. So, I mean, Jose Atuve is – I can see why people, like, embrace this guy in Houston. And he's he's no bigger than, what, five foot seven or five foot eight, something like that. But he's got to be – I mean, certainly pound for pound, he's the best hitter in baseball. Yeah, I mean, Tom Jones tonight tweeted that uh, – he goes, I don't know the list of players better than Jose Altuve, but I know it's not long. Right. And I tweeted him back saying, Trout and nobody else. And he said, I think you're probably right. Wow, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't you know think what? of a, a better uh, – Trout's the best player in baseball. No, I would give you that, yeah. But I would say that. I, I, I can't put anybody else ahead of Altuve. Yeah, no, I – I, I tend to agree with you, man. There's nothing about your his game you don't like, and he can do it with the glove as well. Mm-hmm. Um, can run, can steal bases. He forced a wild throw, uh, you know, again, uh, stealing a base, and, you know, Ramos threw it into center field, so there he's on third again. I mean, he just put so much pressure on your defense, and that was sort of what, you know, the way Houston was able to get back in this ball game. Um, but, you know, again, it was a bullpen night, Um you know, for all the world, it looked like it was they, they were going to be able to pull this off. I mean, despite using all those pitchers, they got some pretty good performances. Uh, again, Andres gave up some runs, but for the most part, you know, even though Houston was chipping away, there the game was at 4-3 going into the ninth inning. And at that point, I mean, that's kind of all you can hope for against a team like the Astros. Yeah, I mean, you, you put yourself in a position to win. You got the early lead. You, mm-hmm. you were holding on throughout the game. You you know gave yes. up some runs here and there, but you were holding on, and you go on the ninth with the lead. I mean, and and you've got Sergio Romo, who's the guy you trust the most in the ninth inning at this point, who just uh, closed it out against the Yankees on Sunday, mm-hmm. right for his second save, I think. Yeah, and, and you know you can't, you know, for all the Jose Alvarado or Diego Castillo that many think should be the closer on this team, it's obvious the Rays don't have trust in them yet at that point. To, mm-hmm. to do that in the majors and I, whether it's a trust thing or they don't want to hurt their confidence if they do blow games at this point as they're still getting their feet wet in, in the majors. Um, Romo's the guy they go to and that is his fourth blown save tonight. Yeah, he just, he, I mean, you know, a four-pitch walk in a one-run game to start the inning is never a good thing. I mean, I, I'm constantly amazed by the number of, of guys that come out of the bullpen or, or you know, put in, in that position and and I understand you're trying to execute good pitches. You just can't say, here it is, I'm going to throw it right down, you know, center cut, go ahead and hit it. But sometimes, <laughs> you know, that's not a bad idea is, is to, uh, you know, not just to try to stay ahead of the hitters, but not not go in there and throw four pitches for, for a walk. I mean, I think the, really stat, the stat is something like 40% of leadoff walks come in to score. And I, that's, I, I, I can't tell you that's be. 100% true, but, you know, over the course of many years, I believe it. I mean, it's an incredible number of, you know, if, look, what I don't get about pitching, and, and yeah, you're trying to execute, and sometimes you just don't have the feel, you just don't have it, but if they beat you, they beat you. Why do you right. want to beat yourself? That's the thing. I mean, he's the tying run, right? So if nothing else, I mean, my philosophy has always been, look, if this guy hits the ball 900 feet, you're still in a tie game, mm-hmm. right? If you walk a guy and don't challenge him and let him just walk to first base – and the next guy hits a bomb, you just lost. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to not challenge somebody. And and if you're, I don't know, it's just a, it's a pet peeve with me. And, look, I've stood on that mound from 60 feet, 6 inches. I was not a pitcher. But there are times when, you know, that plate looks like a, post, a postage stamp. 
And for whatever reason, you just can't get the ball over it. But if I'm paid to be a major league pitcher and my job is to come in and throw strikes and try to stay ahead of hitters, my God, you should be able to throw a strike. You know what I mean? You shouldn't You shouldn't be going out there in that situation and throwing four straight and not even giving the guy a chance to get himself out. You know, with nine guys standing there or eight guys behind you that can help you on defense. It's such a pet peeve of mine that late in games when guy when you're trying to close something out and you get the you know you get the uh, leadoff walk and especially that way you just know what's going to come next and and they did not disappoint i mean um you know before long they had what the bases loaded and and one out so um it it it, it was inevitable i mean you could feel this thing unraveling and yet I don't know what else they could have done in terms of using the pitchers. You mentioned, and, and I think they're going to get to this eventually. Look, I, I'm i sure there's reasons why Diego Castillo um, or even Alvarado at this point uh, probably aren't closing games. That 27th out is not an easy thing. It's the hardest thing to get in baseball, right? It's, it's something that um, if you haven't done it, you know, it, it's not like any other inning. And, you know, Castillo and Chad Rowe and those guys, they needed to get to the ninth. They needed those matchups and they helped them get there, right? But I'll be damned if, if sometime very soon they're going to have to use one of those power arms, maybe Castillo, um, you know, maybe Alvarado, although you know I didn't understand his sequence. I'll get to that in a minute. But you know, you, you've developed relievers in the past. I mean, Alex Colome was a starter. The Rays have had their knack of, of sort of finding these guys that can you know the, pitch the, uh, the ninth inning in games and, and and you know even though Romo has done it before and they're kind of relying on his experience and the sweeping slider and all that he he's just his stuff is not is not good enough after 10 years um to really be able to rely on him so it was disappointing if you're a race fan just because you know you, you felt like you know this would have been a huge win for them and to go into Houston now you know Houston's won 12 in a row like I said they're they're hot as they've been all season and the pitchers are going to face in this series. They got four hits tonight. They might be lucky to get four off of Justin Verlander tomorrow night. I mean, to, you know, tomorrow night or tonight's game rather is one that's going to be a great, you know, on paper anyway, a pretty good pitching matchup. You got Blake Snell going against Verlander, so uh, you know maybe Snell can throw up some zeros too. But I don't know. It, it just it, they're going to get to a time here very close where they're going to have to figure out if one of those power arms. Because I'm a big believer now, Steve, that everybody has them, right? Everybody, and even the Rays have them. You got these guys, and Stanek started the game. He started a bunch of games, and it seems like he's better early in games than he is trying to close them out, at least so far in his career. But they've got power arms on this on this baseball team too. And I would rather have a guy who, if he gets in trouble, even if he like walks the first batter or there's a couple guys on, can get me a strikeout with just throwing the ball 98, 99 miles an hour. I mean, that's sort of what everybody else seems to use. Well, that's what they brought Alvarado in in the middle of the game today was trying to get a strikeout. Um, right. And he didn't the first batter, and then he got it as he went along. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, that's what that's what bullpen pitching has become now is power arm after power arm after power arm. I mean, we saw it with the Yankees. I mean, oh. you know, they get five innings from their starter, and then they go, what is it, Green, Robertson, Batances, and Chapman. Mm-hmm. There's your six, seven, eight, nine inning, and it goes from ninety-seven to ninety-eight to ninety-nine to a hundred <laughs> to a hundred. Yeah, uh, that's that, so that's true. That's what relief pitching has become. It's you know, it's, it's blow it by him, get strikeouts, power arms, and you know the Rays have them. I don't know if they have confidence in them to get the twenty-seventh out yet. 
Yeah, and I mean that's that's the issue right now. And and like I said, th- these one run games are eating them alive. I mean, uh, you know, this was their nineteenth game, one run loss, and well, and, you know, to this, put that in perspective, they have twenty losses that are more than one run. Right. So half Think of their of losses, half their losses by one run, which is close but no cigar. And at the end of the season, no one no one goes back and says, yeah, but what about those one run games? I mean, your record is is, is you know is going to be and and look, they're not. They're not going to the postseason this year. We get that. Um, we understand what they're trying to do with some of these young guys like Jake Bowers and Willie Adamas. Bowers, by the way, had a couple worked a couple of walks early in the game. Had a great slide um, to score. I think their second run, first or second run. Um, so you know he's still contributing. Um, but they're facing some really tough pitching now, and in this series, probably the best they're going to see, right? As far as the starters go. Um, but it was it, it was a game that you know they did what they needed to do, jump out to a lead. Um, again, a bullpen night. Everybody pretty much did their job, with you know some exceptions. But the Houston Astros are just they're just a better baseball team, and they're just too good. And guys like Altuve just find ways to to beat you. And and he was the spark plug in most of their rallies, and um, you know they were unable to do it. So. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a good pitching matchup uh, for them tonight as uh, Blake Snell goes against Justin Verlander. Also, um, some moves that are happening, I guess, with the Rays as well. Kevin Kiermeyer, who Mark Tompkin uh, tweeted before the game, oh, all of a sudden, you know, old old Green Eyes is in the building. And so um, it turns out they're going to activate him tonight. Hearts so are fluttering they... all over Tampa Bay. <laughs> yeah, man. Believe me, the the, uh, the TV ratings are about to go through the roof now as, as – Hearts will be breaking all over Tampa watching Kevin Kiermaier back in the lineup, but that means they have a corresponding move. And I'm guessing um, we've been talking, just just speculating, either either Rob Refsnyder or Carlos Gomez. But at this point, it's probably not Gomez, right? I think though, you know, and Mark Topkin wrote about it that you know presumably Carlos Gomez is going to stay in right field. Malik Smith and Johnny Field will split left field duties. Um, you know, I think Carlos Gomez gives you the ability to run into one. Every once in a while, yeah. I mean, neither Ref Snyder or Gomez are hitting right now, but Gomez gives you a late threat of you know, I, hey, I need a home run here. Let me put him into yeah. pinch hit if he's not starting. Or and Gomez, I think um, actually is swinging the bat for him a little bit better than he has been. Although, you know, somebody was tweeting me tonight like he he ripped a double off uh, off the left field wall more or less out there uh, in Houston and. You know, it caromed right back to the guy who made a great, you know, pick up and throw in the same motion, made it through a strike to second and got him. Um, so, you know, he held him to a single. Uh, it was out at second base. But I can't blame. That's not one of those base running errors that the Rays have been sort of guilty of. I mean, I think you, you know, forced no the, you forced the guy to make a play and he did. And he made and it was a great a bang, play. Bang, it was a bang, bang play on a hustle play. I've got no issues with that. Yeah, I had none. And the, the other thing is, too, there, there's absolutely no way that Gomez can see uh, that that ball is gonna is gonna take a you know a, a spring shot right back to the fielder. Mm-hmm. I mean he can't read the carom um, from where he is rounding first base and he ran hard the whole way. So it wasn't like you know he he got a late break or decided. I mean he he went hard and it was bang bang. And so um, sure I mean potentially he'd have been in scoring position if he's safe. Um, but I don't I don't fault him with that. That but was that the epitome seem- of it took a perfect throw to get him. Yeah, it took a and perfect play by the outfielder to get him. And and it was he barely got him at that. I mean that's that's right. the epitome of he hustled and tip your cap. The guy made a great play. Yeah, and that's sort of what you want to see in that situation. So, um, but he's he's starting to come around a little bit better, I guess. As for Kiermaier, I mean, uh, look, I 
I think his defense alone, we know what what uh, you know how much runs prevention that uh, he's able to supply them out there in center field, assuming that he can stay healthy again. Although, did you tell me that he still plans on going headfirst into every base? He says he's going to slide headfirst. He's going to wear protective gear, though, on his thumb or his hand. <laughs> okay. But he's going to continue to slide headfirst, he says. That's what and Mark Topkin wrote about in the Times today. Yeah, he's going to continue to get hurt. I mean, and it's not that he's the only guy that slides headfirst. Look, I, I know people, including myself, after a while, I just was bad at sliding on my rear end, so I flopped around out there. But with as much on the line as these guys, your hands are so important in – if he's going to go into bags the way he does and play the brand of baseball he plays in center field um, where he's also diving around and running into walls and things like that, this has been sort of the story of Kevin Kiermeyer is that, you know, really good player, can't stay healthy um, for, for stretches of seasons. But uh, when he's in the lineup, he's going to make a big difference. So now what do they do, Steve, in the outfield? Because clearly Malik Smith you wouldn't think would be playing center field anymore. Oh, he and Johnny Field presumably will split time and left, and then Carlos Gomez stays in right, and obviously he gets a day off, then probably Field moves over there. Right. And interestingly, even though Danny Hechevera came back uh, a night earlier and had three hits, he did not play, and that's why you know they played Willie Adamas at shortstop, as, as has been what they want to do. So I would well, imagine. And, da- and Daniel Robertson is set to be activated on Friday at this point, assuming everything goes fine in his rehab. Uh, so that's too many infielders. Which at that point you have to assume Echeverria is DFA'd if he's not already traded. Right. So they got some they got some moves to go, but we'll see. You know, two more games here in Houston, and um, again, I think their best chance, believe it or not, even though Verlander's Verlander's been lights out. Well, he's had a sort of a resurrection of his career. He was starting to flatline a little bit in Detroit until that trade to the Astros, and then of course he wins the World Series, and he's got Kate Upton rooting for him. So life is not bad at all for him, but. Um, he's, he's pitched ridiculously well this year. I think he's already got nine wins, uh, at this point and, you know, an ERA that's just, you know, microscopic. So the Rays will have a tough time. They got four hits off of Garrett Cole and the Astros are going to have even tougher time maybe against Justin Berlander. So we'll definitely follow them and see how they do as they uh, continue their series in Houston. So last week, as the uh, mandatory minicamp was uh, sort of ramping up, we had a chance to talk with uh, Bucks quarterback, Jameis Winston, who, you know, we, we have a fairly regular conversation with him, of course, during the regular season and, and probably a couple times during the offseason as well. Uh, but with a lot at stake in this offseason, he's still, you know, clearly he's not going to comment on anything that has to do with the NCAA or NCAA. Listen to me. I'm back in college already. The NFL probe, um, you know, in, in that investigation that's been going on now for eight months. So he didn't go there. Uh, but he did have some interesting things to talk about, in particular – you know, whether or not this team is sort of maybe going to benefit this offseason from being a little under the radar with no hard knocks, maybe not the expectations that were sort of national for them last year that, frankly, they didn't handle very well in going five, you know, five and 11. Um, You know, also, you know, he discussed sort of how much winning should be a, a yardstick for his career because, you know, he came into the league, he won six games his first year, up that to nine in his second season. And then, of course, injuries was a big part of his third year where he missed three games, but but only won three games as a starter going three and ten. So we talked to him about that. And also just his work ethic and his ability to compartmentalize things and really stay focused on uh, on what's what the matter is at hand. So here, without further explanation, 
is Jameis Winston. How is it different for you now in your fourth season compared to past years, this time of year for you? Well, I, I have the same goal every year, uh, and that's to get better uh, every single day and, and improve, and, and that's what I'm striving to do this year. Cam talked about you kind of spearheading the offseason stuff amongst the receivers and stuff, and he mentioned uh, that your deep ball has improved quite a bit. Uh, is that something you focused on over the offseason? Well, absolutely. And, you know, uh, after, you, after you take a, a, a good look at what, what I need to improve on the most, and uh, deep ball comes up uh, every single year, so I'm definitely focusing on that and getting with my guys and see how we can make that possible. James, is that just reps? I mean, do you just rep that really basically, or have you changed anything the way you, you throw it or they run it? Or? Yeah, you just you repping it with the guys that you – Gonna throw it to, and uh, you're making it happen out there. You're just playing some. It's kind of similar to backyard football, you know. Throw it, throw it out there, let them go get it. I know you can't talk about particularly about what's going on off the field the investigation, but do you feel like you're in limbo at all, or are you just kind of pushing ahead of all this? Well, you know, my, my focus has remained uh, with this offseason and uh, with this team, you know, and, and definitely with the start of minicamp. You know, we're excited to be out here today, so my concentration still remains with this organization and our team. We keep hearing from the guys that there's a different energy. This offseason, do you do you sense that out there? Do you feel it? Well, I, I know I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to put put out as much energy as much energy as I can bring. So uh, if the guys are saying it, you know I agree. You know it, it's good when everyone's on the same page and everyone is feeling. You know uh, I think everyone is feeling a little bit different, a little bit more confident, and that's a good thing. What can the run pass option stuff add to this offense? Uh, I, I think whatever we do to execute it uh, to the capabilities of it working really good for us. So uh, definitely giving us more options uh, requires more uh, more learning and uh, us being being right the majority of the time, you know. Uh, so we have to work together as a team and make, make sure it works. James, how much, how, how fair is it to say it's it's about the winning, no matter how you play, how many that quarterback in this league, you win or you don't win? I, I think in everything in life, is uh, it is, comes down to are, are you winning or are you losing? You know, and definitely at the quarterback position, uh, any, any, any athletic, any terms of athletics, uh, it's about winning. Winning games uh, will uh, make people forget a lot of things. Winning games will make people bring up unnecessary things. So uh, as long as we're winning, I'm happy. And you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Guys are happier when we went into. Well, you're judging. Then, do you think you've had a successful career so far, judging by winning, or I mean, how do you judge it? Uh, uh, again, I, I look to improve every single year, and uh, you know, uh, from year one to year two, I had an improvement on what matters most. Uh, and I declined last year, so uh, I definitely had to get back up on, on winning. Uh, I think that's that is one of the most important things. So definitely playing this position. James, how curious are you to see you as a this new D-line come together in training camp. Maybe make it a little tough on you this summer. Well, that's a good thing. You know, uh, iron sharpens iron. You know, so as long as they're pushing us, uh, we're getting better as well. So uh, I'm just excited to have everybody here. Uh, I'm excited uh, of the great forces we have up front. And our whole defense uh, all overall is just uh, playing tremendous right now. And uh, like I said, that's what that's what makes us better. What do you do think you, of the do biggest? Pre- do you prefer it? I'm sorry. Do you prefer it this year where there is no expectations? You guys only won five. There's no hard knocks. A lot of people aren't figuring that 
you guys could be, you know, a playoff team. Do you yeah, well, it's, it's not really about, you know, uh, the outside sources. It's about us, us collectively as a team, getting together, uh, backing each other, and going out there and executing and uh, winning ball games. What do you think the biggest lesson learned was from last year for this team? Uh, just win more, you know, and, uh, and when we lose, come together so we can win more. You said you took a, a step back in some ways. What do you need to improve on this year, James? Uh, just putting us in a better position to win. Uh, I think that's the, that's the most important thing. Uh, we we got to win. We got to win some games. Is there, do you, I mean, I don't know if this is talked about among players, but the urgency is always there in the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. You play with it every day. But whether it's for coaches or where you're at in your career, does it ramp up at all from year to year, or is it always pretty much the same? Well, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is who we are every single day. You know, and from day to day, you know, despite your emotions or how you feel that day, you have to come with that same level of urgency every day. And in every profession, that's tough. But uh, here in this profession, when all the, all the spotlight is on us all the time, uh, we have to find a way to uh, overcome any adversity that we may be facing at home or uh, even in that locker room and, and make sure that we're our best selves out here on this football field. Is your, I remember when you were your first camp, you were greeting guys as they got off the bus. That's just you. Has your work ethic, do you trust in that? I mean, your work ethic has never lagged. Oh, no, sir. No, sir. My work ethic is unparalleled uh, when it comes to on and off the field. Uh, I do everything in this community and for this football team that I possibly can uh, to get better now. Uh, I can get better at that as well. And, uh, and like I said, that's, that's just me. Uh, I'm trying to look to improve uh, in everything that I do. And, uh, and if you think I, I need to get better, then <laughs> I get better. Does anything jump out at you about uh, Ronald Jones? So Man, just explosiveness, explosiveness, and he, he's starting to get it, you know, and it's good to see when a young guy is starting to get it uh, just because they care. You know, when guys are out there, when they make mistakes and they're just laughing, it's you like, man, you got to pull those guys to the side, but but he cares, and uh, that's very important to me. This rookie group seems to have place. a personality to them. They got uh, some swagger a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, every every rookie group uh, has their own personality. Um, in my opinion, I believe my, my rookie class had a lot of swag <laughs> to them. Uh, we came in. And I did very, very, very good. But we have to continue to improve, you know. And I think we, as a team, do a great job of accepting those rookies and uh, allowing them to be more comfortable around everybody and not holding anything back and just letting them be the, themselves. So two things there, Steve, that I thought um, really got got my attention when I heard it the first time and then, and then just now is, you know, his sort of statement about how his recognition that, you know, he's going to ultimately be judged, as most quarterbacks are, on whether you win or you lose. And I think in the past, and we've talked about this before, that, you know, Jameis, not surrounded by the best team, probably felt like he had to do a lot more uh, than some quarterbacks. Certainly the running game wasn't there. And that leads to mistakes, which leads to some losses that they've absorbed. And, and that's just because, you know, he handles the ball in every play. Um, but I think I think what he, what he said there and what I've heard from other people, including Boogie McFarlane, who we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, is that you know he has to play winning football. Um, whatever the rest of the team does, they're going to do. But as far as his play goes, he has to put them in positions to win and not be the reason they lose. And if he can do that, if he can sort of do his job, uh, and he's always going to be you know a charismatic leader and, and that that off field guy that pushes his teammates and all that. But if he can just kind of cut down on mistakes and keep his team in position to win. Um, you know, then then the wins will come, and the wins do have to come, as he mentioned. Uh, that's that's really what what all this is about. The final thing is, and I think there's a little bit of a tell here in that you know we, we know what James is going through with this you know this investigation sort of 
you know, rolling on with the world without end. But at some point, the NFL is going to make a decision on whether there's no games, some games, uh, a few games, whatever. And you heard Jameis talk about how, how, how focused he is about coming out and just kind of taking each day and trying to maximize that day and get better. And, and we've seen him do this at Florida State. I mean, we watched him win a national championship, a Heisman Trophy, lose just one game in his career with all the stuff that was sort of swirling around him. He probably has, Steve, the best ability of any guy I've been around to sort of block out all that's going on around him and just sort of be in the moment. And, and that's either not just on the field, but also whether it's in his personal life or charity, um, you know, starting his foundation. I've watched this guy in the offseason countless times, and he really is where his feet are. And I, I got to give him credit for that. I mean, you know, rightly or wrongly, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to presume guilt or innocence here, but the guy does have this, this ability to sort of focus, and I, I, think that's, I think that's a hard thing to do in this day and age. So as we wrap up here, uh, I assume that, uh, Steve, the Washington Capitals are still drinking from the Stanley Cup that's somewhere in some fountain in D.C. I haven't seen the find. pictures or videos of Ovechkin <laughs> yet. Maybe some other players have the cup, and that's why we haven't uh, seen as much of it lately. But they're still <laughs> definitely celebrating. Well, while they were celebrating, their coach just left town, or he's on his way out. This was a story even during the finals, you know, that uh, Barry Trotz did not have a contract, or at least we didn't think he had a contract. We thought well, he, didn't. he was going to be free agent. He did agent. not have a contract. But winning the Stanley Cup gave, I guess, either him or the team uh, or some combination thereof a two-year extension possibility, right? right? Now, he was only making a million and a half, which if you look at coaches like Mike Babcock, who's making over six mil a year, oh, wow. and Joel Quinville's making six mil a year in Chicago, um, you know, Barry Trot signed that contract before the coaching salaries really escalated. Mm. Um, now, apparently, the two-year option uh, gave him a three hundred thousand dollar raise, who so would be a million eight. And as of today, he resigned, stepped away. And so, I mean, this has to be about you know a couple things. One, I mean, I would assume he knows he's got a good hockey team. Maybe he doesn't think he can win again because it took him forty three years. I don't know. Um, and, and who knows when his team will sober up to begin with. But the other thing would be he realizes he's in for a big payday. I well, mean, this is almost the question, a Joe Madden type The question thing, is, right? is he in for a big payday, or is he actually saying, um, I won the cup? Uh, he's one of the winningest coaches all time in history. I'm done. Oh, you think this is a walk-off? I don't think so, but it could be. Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a potential. I haven't, how old is Barry? Uh, that's a good question. Is he in his sixties, maybe close. I would think so. He's got. Yeah. I think he's got over seven hundred NHL wins. Well, so he could. I mean, this this could be a fulfillment of a career. I mean, we could be watching that. Or there's only one. There's only one team currently without a coach in the NHL, and that's the New York Islanders, which Lou Lamarillo just took over as the president of everything there, and he fired uh, the coach and the the GM. So that's the only team currently without a coach. But yes, as you mentioned. Could this trigger a Joe Madden type thing where the Cubs had Rick Renteria, they were very happy with him, but Joe Madden became available and they made a move? Yeah. And I mean, if you, you know, the great thing about guys that win the Stanley Cup is they always seem to have a job. I mean, you know, look how many jobs John Tortorella's had. There's just not that many guys, you know, out there that have, uh, that have won it. So um, right now he'd be the number one free agent if, in fact, I mean, are we getting past the point that, that teams really want to fire their coaches? I don't know. But then again, maybe they didn't expect Barry to be out there. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody 
at this point, you're with the guy you want. But if Barry Trotz becomes too good to be true for you, you know, I mean, how many teams possibly said if Barry Trotz is available because it was known throughout the year he didn't have a contract after this season, and there was talk that, right. you know, the Capitals weren't going to bring him back unless he won a cup. Mm-hmm. That, you know, maybe teams were banking on, you know, Washington would have their typical second-round exit and he'd be available. Well, they won the second round over Pittsburgh, and then they beat the Lightning in the third round and then went to the Cup and won it all, and so you think, well, he's not available. Well, today he is. Will, well, a, team, will get, a team make a move, or will just Lou Lamarillo just go hire him? Well, perhaps, but I, I mean, I'm guessing, and, you know, unless he plans to retire, which I would think he would have announced that already, um, I'm guessing that he has a deal. You know, I don't think these things happen in a vacuum. I don't think it's like, yeah, you know what? Um, and look, the whole the whole Madden thing, the whole Madden thing was a little, you know, uh, a, a little suspicious well, in and of itself. But the, the question is, the question is, does Trotz already have a deal? I think and, so. And, and the question was, did Joe Madden already have a deal? And in the, the Rays, perhaps Rays filed a grievance with baseball about it, or right. And, and, and Trotz has said this before that, you know, see off the record, he hasn't, but people have quoted him essentially of saying, I could find a job in three minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, that Barry Trotz knows you don't so have to, you don't have to have a deal ahead of time. You know, you're going to get hired. Right. That's true. You know, Joe Madden didn't have to have a deal with the Cubs. I don't know if he did or not, but I'm saying he didn't have to have a deal with the Cubs. He knows he's he going to get, get hired. He was going to yeah. get offers. Right. Um, now, you know, where they were and how much and, and you know, whether there was anything from the Cubs before he opted out. And Andrew Friedman leaving for the Dodgers is what triggered Joe Madden's leaving because in a clause in his contract, his contract said, yeah. you know, if Andrew Friedman leaves, I think he had two weeks to opt out of your deal. So, but whether the Cubs had contacted him ahead of time or they contacted the Cubs seeing if there's interest, but, you know, Joe Madden was a big enough commodity where you know you're going to get offers. You could, you could legitimately opt out first and then wait for the offers to roll in. And that might be the case with Barry, who you know just won a Stanley Cup, so he might know that he's going to get offers too, even though there's just one job available now. So pretty interesting, though, that you, you know you don't normally see uh, a whole lot of coaches that win it all, and then you know, boom, they're off to their next gig right after that. So I got to assume that you know, so you know, the the, the, the option made it up to one eight, but those are all renegotiable. I got to assume the Capitals were willing to pay him significantly more. Maybe not the six mil range of Quinville and Babcock, and I don't know what Barry Trotz wants, or is there a more philosophical issue that Trotz has because he didn't have a contract this year? They probably weren't bringing him back, but they won the cups, so and now you got to look like you are trying to bring him back, whether you wanted to or not. Mm-hmm. You know, is there more? Is there more than just the financial aspect of this? It's more of a you didn't think I was good enough for this, so why should I come back? You have to, you know, well, wonder if that's part of it. Could be something to that. I mean, coaches do get their feelings hurt. I mean, I think, you know, going back to my experience, if the, if the Bucks at the end of, you know, uh, 2001 had extended Tony Dungy, he probably would have signed. But I know there was a lot of bad feelings between him and the agent that they had not already extended him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and, and, and they, do you want to work for someone that didn't want you? Do you want to work for someone that didn't want you? And ultimately, that, when that, you know you've got other jobs out there, you know you could find well, one. And they put you in a lame duck situation, which is not easy. I mean, what's what's you know hard to do sometimes is to keep guys' interest and be authoritative when they know you're in your last season, you know, that you don't have a deal. So um, they managed to win it all, and good on him. And, yeah, there could be – all of these things could be true to some degree. We don't know. But um, pretty rare to see a guy, you know, 
win a, win a championship and then, of course, be out there and be a... Well, and there's a little bit of scuttle, you know, locally that, you know, there was talk going into the playoffs that had the Lightning had an early exit in the playoffs and assuming the Capitals would have their traditional early exit and Trotz was going to be available, there was talk. Now, I don't think any of it's sourced or legit, but people speculating, could the Lightning go after Barry Trotz to be their coach if they feel John Cooper can't get the job done? Well, we're here to start those rumors now. <laughs> Not saying there's a rumor to it. And Cooper Cooper got to the Eastern Conference Finals for the third time in four years. You know, yeah. I think a lot of it with Cooper was, you know, what happens if they get if they're out in the first round against New Jersey or if Boston right. takes them out in the second round? I mean, they got to the third round, lost to the Stanley Cup champion in seven games. You know, I don't think I don't think Eisenman would make that move, but. But no, but to your point, nobody knows what the hell Steve Eiserman is really thinking at any time. But it seems as if he's pretty loyal to John Cooper and and but, likes the direction. But much like going. the Bucks did, you know, with Tony Dungy, is he the right guy to get us over that hump? You know, the Lightning have been there for three of the last four years now. Is Cooper that right guy? Well, or is there somebody I mean, I, else out there? And and obviously Eiserman thinks Cooper can get them over the hump because he didn't make a move last off season mm-hmm. or this off season. But maybe he didn't have his guy available, and I don't know if he likes Trotz and if you know if that would be the right guy or not. Who knows? But right, you know, Trotz That's is a, one of the more surprising coaching you know availability candidates in a long time. That's a chicken in the egg thing too, because I mean, even with in the case of Dungy, I go back and think to myself, and they were down the road from what I heard the Super Bowl before the season that Tony coached his last year before the 2001 season, so it would have been the 2000 Super Bowl, um, which, if I'm not mistaken, might have been in Tampa, right? Um, or thereabouts. I'm not, I'm not sure if it was or it wasn't, but uh, that those conversations actually began with Bill Parcells. I think the Glazers felt they had the tuna. I, I really do. I don't know that there would have been a lot of people they would have moved on from mm-hmm. Tony Dungy for, but I think that they were fairly convinced and fairly down the road with Bill Parcells Enough to say, eh, pump the brakes. We're not going to offer Tony anything yet. And then, of course, before the season was over, as I reported, um, two weeks before, they had a signed agreement and um, and everything had been worked out um, between coaches and the whole deal. And, of course, Tony loses to the Eagles and they fire him. But had Parcells not been somebody that they knew they could get, like this proverbial, you know, here's a guy we, we you know, one of the few guys we would fire Tony Dungy for, um, had he not been available, maybe they don't do it. Now, as it turns out, Parcells turns him down. He leaves him at the altar again, uh, as far as the franchise go, because um, he had done it with Culverhouse. And then they had to scramble. And it just so happened that, you know, after scrambling around and talking to a lot of people and offering the job to Steve Mariucci and, um, and that sort of thing, they went back to Al Davis and made this ridiculous trade for John Gruden. And the rest, as they say, is history. But it wasn't as if hey, we got John Gruden, that's why we're going to dump Tony Dungy. It was we have Bill Parcells. And they, not only did they have him, they had a signed contract mm-hmm. in a drawer. So, I mean, you know, this this might have been the one guy. So if Barry Trotz is the one guy, um, then, yeah, then somebody's going to be packing their bags sometime. But I, I don't know that that's the case, and I guess we'll, we'll find out here shortly. Look, we've, lear- um, we've learned Mark Davis in Oakland has been asking John Gruden every year for years yes. now to come coach. Uh, how many yes. how many colleges have called Nick Saban every year, seeing if he'll come? You may never hear about it. How many NFL teams? But how many you know, times have the Bucks called him? Sure, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Forget <laughs> every college year. Teams, but yeah, NFL teams that <laughs> yeah, you know every year that are checking. You know, hey, maybe we have a coach, but this is a guy we think is you know the best, or you know mm-hmm. would be perfect for our organization. And every year we're going to check. And 
it happens all the time. It happens That's all right. the time. One day, John Gruden said yes to uh, to Mark Davis and. He had been trying to get him for six or seven years to go back there, and he finally said yes. So that's why you keep asking. So, yeah, you never know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Michigan fan. How many NFL teams are calling Jim Harbaugh every year asking? Every year there's a bunch, including the one I probably cover. Including some I mean, that may have coaches that might surprise you that they're calling and asking. I'm sure there are. Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. And it, that's the thing. And it's never, you know, it's not like, hey, this is uh, Brian Glazer, uh, Jim Harbaugh. Would you like – you know, it's always through intermediaries, through agents – um, you know, hey, I hear, would you be interested, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm staying in Michigan or what. You know, the, that's sort of, I mean, there's always a network of ways to reach these guys, and you always have a list, and those those lists really really surprise you. They're the people that you would think that a, that an NFL team um, or a college team or what have you would, would, you know, would try to pursue. And they're always after Saban, um, you know, and, and I'm sure Harbaugh is a guy – each year that he's down the road at Michigan, they may feel like there's a, even a greater chance, um, or or maybe a lesser one. It just uh, you just don't know, so you keep asking. And one day, um, you know, John Gruden goes back to the Raiders. So we'll see how all that goes. But um, pretty interesting stuff. Just to wrap up the day, um, you know, my my good friend Ed Werder got in a little bit of hot water. You might want to read the Ooh. Twitter feed on that. Ooh, not good. No, it was, and I know, I know where it was coming from, and I, and I know Ed, and I know where his heart is, and and I, I think he, I think he misinterpreted, uh, basically, and, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds with this, but Sports Illustrated has uh, an opening um, for a news reporter, and uh, one of one of the women that was posting about that job said, yeah, well, it'd be great if we got some some female uh, applicants or what have you. And I think Ed took that to mean that that was at the exclusion of male applicants or something. But it got into a back and forth that really you can never you never want to really get into on social media. He was trending for a long time on uh, on Monday. So at some point, I'd like to have Ed on this podcast because he's a fascinating story and a really good family guy. And has been through um, just a tremendous amount of tragedy uh, with his family and his life, but um, has overcome all of that. And. Um, I was I was sad to see him kind of get beat up a little bit on social man social media man. <laughs> I mean I I have fun with it sometimes, but like there are other times when I go, what am I doing? Why am I even on this thing? You can get you can get sideways quick on on social media over nothing. Yeah, virtually nothing, or what you think is nothing. Yeah, you know I'm sure he never intended to be you know for whatever whatever motivated him to to maybe awkwardly say what he say or maybe he meant what he said. I don't know, but. Uh, at some point, uh, I'm sure he did not invite um, this sort of thing, and um, it just it just kind of evolves. I mean, that's what happens. I got into got into one that I didn't expect to be a long thread with, uh, uh, you know, with people complaining about Gerald McCoy, which um, seems to happen about every year or so. So um, before long, you know, it takes off. But this one, uh, if you want to check it out, this one was was a little different. So. Anyway, um, we got lots uh, to talk about the rest of the week. We want to do. We're going to have Tom Jones. Hopefully, I think uh, on tomorrow's show, tomorrow's podcast. That's always a, a great one for us when Tom's able to join us, and hopefully, uh, we can have him do that uh, this week. And then we're going to have a mailbag, so we want you to get your questions in. We'll do that probably on uh, Wednesday's podcast. And so, as always, we love the interaction. When we're getting questions from people. You can uh, do that by tweeting at us um, at. Sports Day TV. That's at Sports Day TV, or you can reach me at NFL Stroud, and my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. And uh, see, we love for them to rate, review this podcast, and this podcast. You can pick up 
anywhere you can find podcasts, right? Yeah, you can get it from iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. And right there, hit subscribe. That way it comes directly to your mobile device, downloads automatically every day, so you can listen to it anytime. Uh, then you can also like those posts or uh, leave comments there too. That always helps us. Or refer us to a friend. Let others know about it. And of course, if you still can't find it, tampabay.com slash sports. Right there on the right side, all the episodes are there. Absolutely. Well, we got Rays Astros again, Blake Snell against Justin Verlander. We'll talk about that. We've got Bucks all week. I'm going on vacation soon on Thursday. We're going to have some great guests and great interviews lined up we've been doing. You guys are in for a real treat uh, over the next couple of weeks. We want to make sure you stay with this podcast. So I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Bursnick. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 